Matthew chapter 4. We're moving along. We're probably going to finish Matthew in about uh, six months, probably. Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) These are short chapters. They're about to get really long. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell those stones, these stones, to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Uh, Lord, we're just uh, thankful, uh, grateful to be in your presence this morning. Uh, We have worshipped you. Uh, You are here in our midst. Now, God, open our hearts to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You will remember that uh, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the King of kings, Lord of lords. We saw that in verse 1. Of chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. This entire book is written so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah. So he begins with the genealogy of the king so that we can see that uh, coming to pass. He moves then to the conception of the king by the Holy Spirit. From there he goes to the acknowledgement of the Magi, the earthly king makers. And then all along, he's giving prophetical references to point back to the scriptures so that people will believe in him. Now, this includes the different locations where he would come from, that he was prophesied. You will remember that. And how they all correlate and also point to our need for a Messiah. It's really fascinating uh, as I have begun this study just to see all of the different uh, ways that um, the Lord has prophesied the Messiah to come. Uh, In chapter 3, we saw John the Baptist, who was uh, prophesied also. He was the one that would prepare a way for the Messiah, preaching a message of repentance. Um, This repentance requires, it's it's a message of humility, which is required to receive the gospel, because in order to repent, you must recognize your need for a sinner or for a savior because of our own sin. And then in uh, verse 15, um, Jesus, we saw last week, Jesus baptized 
In verse 15, he says, let it be so. He did not need to repent, we know. But he said, let it be so, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus, as I said, did not need to repent, but he did model for us two things. One, obedience. Jesus is always obedient to the Father in all things. And then second, it is symbolic of what baptism represents, which is trading your life for his, your imperfection for his perfection. Um, Baptism is symbolic as you die uh, going into the water, you're buried with him under the water, you come back to life as you come out of the water. Uh, And then finally, I did not make this point last week, but I do want to now, uh, if you look at verses 16 and 17, it says, "As, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I bring that up because similar to the Magi, the earthly kingmakers are acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. This is God the Father is acknowledging him supernaturally uh, as the Messiah, as he says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So today we're going to shift to chapter 4, and is a very, uh, another very important scripture and very foundational to our theology, similar to chapter 1, when we saw that Jesus was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by man, so that he could be born alive. In a similar correlation here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, He committed no sin... And no deceit was found in his mouth. That is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 53. And then he gives some examples. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live For righteousness, by his wounds, we have been healed. In 1 John chapter 3, something similar. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Why am I covering this? Super important, very important to our messianic theology, which would be that Jesus, the Messiah, came to bring salvation to the world. While we are sinful, he is sinless. Look again at 1 Peter, this one, chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed. You were not bought with perishable things, silver and gold. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. We are all born, as I mentioned Jesus was born alive because he was not conceived by man, but by the Holy Spirit. We are 
born into through our ancestors is what he's saying there. We are, this, this empty way of life, this sinful nature we have is handed down to us. We are redeemed through the precious blood of Christ who is a lamb without blemish. Another way of saying sinless. So in order for Jesus to be born alive, he cannot come from a human seed. He's from God's seed. That is the immaculate conception. And then in order for him to be able to pay the price for our sin, he must be without sin. How do we know this? What's well, right here in Matthew chapter 4. It is listed for us. That is what this context, that's the context with which this part of uh, Matthew was written. So let's look at it. We have a specific record of Jesus standing up to temptation. So first let's look at the truth of temptation. Verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now there are two other parallel passages on the temptation of Jesus. I've mentioned this several times. You can Google um, the harmony of the Gospels, and you will get a list of all of the uh, passages, all of the stories within the four Gospels, and where they line up chronologically so that you can see uh, where there are parallel passages. Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4 are the other two. All three of them fall immediately after the baptism of Jesus by John. Notice Matthew says then, he uses the word then, Jesus was led by the Spirit. If you look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 12, it says at once. Uh, some versions say immediately, that's one of Mark's favorite words, uh, is immediately, and then immediately this, and immediately that. I think it's 40 times the word immediately is in that, that book. Um, so it's right after this. There's another point to consider. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is now full of the Spirit. So the point I'm trying to make here, I want, I want to make, is this. Jesus has been baptized. He has been anointed, affirmed, and commissioned by God himself. He is now full of the Spirit. The point is this. Temptation has nothing to do with where you are spiritually. You have never arrived. This side of heaven, you are still human. In fact, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. None of us is immune to temptation. We will never get to the point where we won't be. And if Jesus is tempted, then so will we. Um, another consideration is this. Jesus is about to start his formal ministry for approximately 30 years. He has been keeping quiet, staying close to home, just being a guy. But as soon as he steps out of ministry, bam, he becomes a target. He's hit with the temptation. He's hit with trial. He's hit with a storm. And the reason I bring this up is to warn you that there is an enemy out there who is fighting against the things of God. And when you step out, 
you step up, then you've just put a target on your chest. This one reminds me, I couldn't find my t-shirt of uh, that far side with the, the two deers talking to each other. And the one guy's got a, a bullseye on his chest and the guy says, bummer of a birthmark, Al. This is where we are. The truth is this, you're now dangerous to the enemy. Life group leaders, life group hosts, children's ministry, hosting team, all, you, if you've just stepped up and stepped into a place of ministry, I'm telling you, you need to be on guard because you've now entered a danger zone to the enemy and he will try to take you out. It isn't anything to be fearful of. It's just something to be made aware of. Um, in fact, it's confirmation, I believe, of what God is doing in you. And the reverse would be true. If you're not under pressure, you might wonder if you're really living a dangerous life for the Lord. Now, the life of a Christian is not free of a battle or battles or trials, um, but nor is it um, all about a constant trial. So, I mean, you really just have to, to look at both sides. Psalm chapter 34 says, the righteous person has many troubles, but... The Lord delivers them from them all. So look again here quickly at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. But no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. One more note is he's fasting. This is something he's doing for spiritual growth. He, he, he wants, he, he's doing this. It, it's commanded, but it's, it's, he's, he's made a decision. Many of you this year made a decision to fast and pray with us in the first week of, of the year. And, and f many people I've talked to is the first time they've ever done it. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, if you're not careful, you can find yourself doing things for spiritual growth and maturity only to find out that you've now picked a fight with the devil. If you're not expecting it and if you're not careful, the enemy can use that to get you to see God as the one doing wrong. So we see the reality of the truth of temptation. We're all tempted. We all go through trials. We all go through storms. We're not immune to them. In fact, the very fact that we are Christians brings on a totally different level of temptation and trial. And if Jesus went through them so will we. Um, one final note here in the setup is, have you ever thought of the fact that there were no witnesses to this? That was something that came out of my study. There's no, nobody saw this. All, it seems like all the other passages in the Gospels, there was a witness there to it, right? But there's, 
it was just Jesus and the devil. So how do we know this is true? Well, clearly he shared this with his disciples. He shared this truth. It's recorded three times in the Gospels. And we need to know that Jesus experienced everything that we have. It's important to note it. Hebrews chapter 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's not to say that he's better than us, even though he is. It's to say that we can put our confident trust in him because he is sinless. So that brings us to how. Um, If Jesus is tempted as we are, then what ways was he tempted? That's important for us to know um, because we will be tempted in similar ways. Now, I realize there's three temptations here, and and I, just in my studies, there's countless commentaries, sermons, I mean, the the endless resources of this. So um, you may walk into this thinking that you're going to hear one thing, and I'm not here to debate you. This is what I feel like the Lord laid on my heart. I came up with five um, to describe... Uh, But you know what? That's one of the cool things about God's Word. It's alive and active. And uh, every time you read God's Word, you will probably find something different that is more impactful. So in the context of how can we expect temptation, I came up with five examples of temptations that we can pull out of this. The first is this, doubt. Doubt. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting... 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The key word here is if. If. If you are the son of God, if you are really the son of God, sounds a lot like what he first used with Eve, right? Did God really say, you will not surely die? You know, if if God really loved you, then you wouldn't be going through this trial. If God really loves you, then you wouldn't have such a difficult marriage. You wouldn't have, this wouldn't be happening to your, if God really loved you, then you wouldn't have gone through that as a child. You know, if God really wanted you to do this, it wouldn't be so hard. Maybe you should just quit. If God really is for this, insert here, whatever it is. Um, another factor here that can contribute to doubt is the word wilderness. Some versions use the word desert. You ever feel like you're in a wilderness or desert spiritually? You're like, you know, I've been trying to hear from, I just feel like I haven't felt the presence of God for. And it could be, I mean, even 
Uh, I've talked to people uh, back in week of fasting. They're, they're fasting and they're just, I don't feel anything. Or you're in the midst of a trial and you're like, you know, where is God? Where are you? I'm, tr- I'm doing everything you asked me to do and you're nowhere. It's just a desert. It's a dry land. Just because you don't feel God's presence doesn't mean it's not there. It's another doubting temptation. There's a second temptation here. Let's call it the flesh. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is, if you know, if you have a warped mind like mine, this is funny to me. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Huh, duh. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Does anybody remember the, the, the song, We Are the World? So there's their age line here. This is back in the 80s. What was it, America for Africa or what, some, what did they call it? Feed America? No, it's not Feed America. That's today. It was, it was something, whatever. It was a bunch of musicians. And Willie Nelson had this line. You remember this? As God has shown us by turning stones to bread. No, he didn't. That is not, a, that it's not at all what God showed us. That is... So that great theologian, Willie Nelson... <laughs> That is not in my notes, so you life, group, uh, life groups won't have that as a question. What did Willie Nelson sing in the 80s? I'll go out on a limb here and say we all have a personal sin struggle, every single one of us. Now, we just saw that no temptation has overcome you, overtaken you, except that which is common to man. And you can, we've talked about that in the past. You can look at that in a couple of ways. Um, one would be, you know, you have this one sin or this two or three, whatever it is, and you just gets you every single time. I mean, I just, it's like a bowling pin. Every single time, I'm out. And, and this says, no, there isn't one of those. There's no super sin that gets everyone all the time. No, there's no sin has overtaken you except that which is common. It's man-sized. It's not Goliath's size. Another would be, if I were to start asking for hands, which I won't, those of you who have this one sin, I bet you anything, there's a dozen or more people that would raise their hand too. So it's not unique to you. It's common to man. But we have that tractor beam, that gravitational pull that pulls us to that, especially those that are new to the faith. But I'll, I'll tell you this, that is not exclusive to people who are brand new to the faith. Jesus is hungry. Why? Because he's been fasting for 40 days. I mean, that's just, it, that's logical. If the devil had come on day one or two, or even day 10, he probably wouldn't have, it 
may not have been, probably wouldn't have been such a great temptation. But he's smart. He's wise. He's cunning. And he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. But he can't devour everyone. But you do need to understand, he's coming after you. You need to be aware of it. But it's also important to know temptation isn't sin. Okay? You need to hear that. Temptation isn't sin. Sin is sin. It's the act. James says it's like, you know, it entices you. And he, and he tries to pull you in. It's like fishing. You know, you use the, he uses the right lure. And he's swimming around there and looking for someone to devour. And listen to this. Just because you fall, you haven't lost your salvation. Paul says this in Colossians 3, since then, some key words, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For look at this. If you're a believer, this is you. This is truth about you. You died. Your life is now hidden in Christ. Last week in, in, our, in one of our uh, small groups, uh, we were talking about this. Um, you remember Jacob and Esau and the, and the story where Jacob dresses up like his brother Esau and he goes to their father and he steals the birthright. You remember that story in Genesis? Jacob was hidden in the son the father loved. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life is hidden in the son the father loves. That's true. And so then he says, when Christ appears... You will too. You are on your... That, that is a statement. That is a scripture to memorize, embrace. It is true. Now look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So you're already saved but you're human. And, and you, there's a reason why you need salvation. There's a reason why we need Jesus is because our life is full of sin, filth. It's separate. That's what separates us from God. That's what he says. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's interesting. He starts with the big ones, right? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, you used to walk in these ways, but now, okay, we're going to work on the big ones. Okay, that's cool. But hey, how's your anger problem, Don? <laughs> how's your bitterness, Jen? 
just so we're equal opportunity offenders here. They're married and they duke it out, so we'll leave it with them. Now you guys can take that home with your life group and deal with that. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, all the things you're going to say on your way home about me. <laughs> hmm. And don't lie to each other. You see, we're a constant work in progress, always, this side of heaven. He who began a good work, Philippians, will see it through to completion. You're just, you're just in process, praise God. Another way that, that's just another way, Peter, we looked at this last week, 2 Peter chapter 1, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. It takes no effort for faith. That's a gift. But obedience takes effort. Knowledge takes effort. Self-control obviously takes effort. It's just, it's just building blocks. There's a third temptation, testing God, testing God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. It's an interesting one. Um, I'll give you two examples. We could probably poke a bunch of holes in this one, but... Um, I'll give you a couple. First, there's danger in testing the boundaries of God's grace from a lifestyle or a sin perspective. Um, you know what God says about this or that, and instead of heeding that, you choose to disregard it and put all of your dependence upon God's grace and forgiveness. I am not discounting the abundance of God's grace, okay? So don't walk out of here and say that. Nor am I discounting our need for the endless well of grace that is accessible and available to every single one of us and that all of us need. But on the other hand, at what point does grace become indulgence? I mean... At what point does God turn you over to your sin, as he talks about in Romans chapter 1? That, that's, a, that's a temptation, is what I'm trying to say. That's a temptation. Well, God's grace, you know, God's grace covers all that. Well, yeah. But if you love me, you obey me, right? I mean, some, at some point, I don't want to find out when that is, but God is looking for repentance and obedience, right? Another way to look at this, uh, testing God, would be from an authoritative point of view. God, I'm going to go this way, I'm going to do this, and if I'm not supposed to, then you're going to have to stop me. That's kind of the context, I think, that, that um, this temptation is in. Um, this could be lifestyle, it could be financial. Uh, how many husbands in, in the room have made a terrible financial decision, and your wife, the voice of the Holy Spirit and reason, said, you know, I'm not so sure about that. And you said, well, by God, I'm, I'm the man of the house, and God says I'm supposed to rule, and, and you're supposed to be quiet. And it blows up in your face, and then you're like, God, what were you thinking? Well, 
He was thinking. You weren't thinking. He sent you this helper. I'm just going to live this way. I'm just going to keep doing this because God created me this way and he knows better. And I'm going to maintain this relationship because, you know, God, God's going to use me to bring them along. And, and, and I, I really want this job. God, you know I want that place. And, and if you didn't put that desire in my heart, then, then you know, but, but this is just a screaming deal. I, I can't walk away from this deal. Clearly, this is a gift of God. And then when it doesn't work out, then it's God's fault because he didn't stop you. And, you know, I, I think that's a huge temptation. How about from a ministry point of view? We've dealt with that. Just in the last eight years, people that have, you know, God's told me to do this, and they step outside of godly counsel, and they reach for conversations. Disciplers in the room, how many people have you talked to? And you gave them godly counsel, and they just went and they found somebody. They kept counseling with somebody until they found somebody that said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And then they grab hold of that and they run with it. You know, that's a, that's a temptation. Fourth, twisting scripture. That's exactly what the devil's doing here. Well, you know, the Bible says, we talked about this last week, um, specifically when, when talking about people who believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And they use Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. You know, my immediate counterpoint to that is now there was, there was a criminal on the cross. And I mean, this is just an easy one, right? There's a criminal on the cross. Jesus himself says what? Today you will be with me in paradise. And then Jesus said, well, hey, quick, let's get him down and baptize him so that, that, so that my words will mean true. No, that, that's not at all what happened. They both died right there. I mean, that's, that's an easy one. It may seem juvenile, but that's the danger spot of taking a, a single scripture and creating a theology to it. It's a very serious and dangerous temptation the Bible is true. It will not, it cannot contradict itself, but it must be taken in context. It's one of the benefits of expository preaching, I believe. We take them as they come and we take them in context. Uh, but, you know, you also should be praying, asking the Holy Spirit. It's a very answerable prayer. God, would you reveal your truth to me as I'm reading this? He will answer that prayer. question is whether or not you want to receive it especially if it's a hard word. Now, another important factor here is that there are two, uh, I call them open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. In growth track, we call it essential beliefs and non-essential beliefs. And this is, you know, the Bible is very, very clear on certain things, i.e., how are you saved? The Bible's super clear on that. And, and those are closed-handed. You, you can't, we're not going to argue them. We cannot argue them. They're clear and they're super important. And then you have open-handed or non-essential beliefs. And, and there's a lot of those. They're not as clear. Um, and so 
they're really not as important. The sad thing is when people take non-essential beliefs or open-handed issues, they become so personally, um, such personal convictions, and then they become divisive because they've converted them to essential beliefs and they're really not. Um, I can teach a whole sermon on that, but I'm going to leave it right there. Fifth, pride. This is it. It's really the root of all of these. Um, it comes down to pride. Whether it's doubting God, fleshly desire, putting God to the test, twisting scripture, it really is rooted in our own self-desire. All this I will give you if you just bow down and worship me. That's what caused the devil to fall. He had convinced himself that he was at the same level as God, and he's not. None of us are. And when you're traveling down this road, everyone's against you. No one cares about you. Nothing goes your way. It's very prevalent in our society today. I have rights, and I'm right. I saw a video yesterday of a 15-year-old high school student attacking, assaulting a teacher's aide. It was a two-minute video. It was about 15 seconds of him running in, threw her to the ground, was punching and kicking her for about 15 seconds until enough people removed him from her. And here's why. She took his Nintendo Switch away in class. How dare she? I know what I'll do. I'll go beat her up. I mean, this is where we live today. And I'm sure none of you would do that if someone took away your Nintendo Switch. But it doesn't have to be that level to be sin. Now, as God's word always does, it exposes an issue, but then it gives us a solution. So there's a warning of our vulnerability, but there's a plan to overcome. Remember, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So we have a solution here. Look at it. Verse 4, Jesus' response to each one of these, it is is written. Verse 7, Jesus says, it is written. Verse 10, Jesus said, it is written. Here's the deal. If you're going to stand in up to temptation and trial, then you need to know the truth. What is the truth? Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus knew who he was. If you're the son of God, I know I'm son of God. You can't do that to me. I'm not giving into that doubt. I know who I am. Well, Jesus, if you're the son of God, then, then just do this. Prove it. I don't have to prove it to you. 
And nor do you come at me twisting scripture. I am not falling for that trap. Well, you know, Jesus, if you're, if you're really the son of God, then, then I'll give you all. None of that. That's temporal. I am not giving into that. I am not living for today. I'm living for tomorrow. This world is not my home. I am, I am living for a world that is in my future and it is eternal, not temporal. I am not giving into that. It is written. Do you realize that the word of God is a weapon? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is describing the armor of God. He lists the armor, which, by the way, there's nothing, there's no protection for the back because we're not supposed to run from the devil. No, we are to stand. We stand firm. And he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That helmet is protecting the knowledge of who you are in Christ. You died. You were buried. You are raised to life. So start thinking that way. Start believing that way. Start behaving that way. Guard your head. Guard that knowledge. And when he comes at you, we're not slinging a big sword. No, this is like a dagger because he's coming right at the one that you fall at every single time. And you need to be ready for that. That's what Jesus did for us. So what happens when you do that? Well, there's an outcome. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. And the devil left him. And the angels came and attended them. James puts it this way. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. There's no protection for our back because we don't need it. He's the one that needs the protection for his back because that's his job is to flee. And every single one of us, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the authority. God's given it to you. Are you using it? Because you can shy away from it. You, you, just because you have the tool, just because you have the weapon, doesn't mean that you know how to use it, doesn't mean that you are going to use it, that you have to use it. The question is, are you going to? This would be a wonderful scripture to memorize right here. When the attacks come, this is an easy one. You know what? I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. Whatever you, however you want to say that. No, I am his. He is mine. Greater is he who is in me, in me, than he who is in the world. You're in the world. I'm right here. You got nothing on me. I command you. I have the authority because Jesus gave it to me. I have the authority to tell you, get out of here. Now leave. He doesn't have a choice. He has to leave. If you are a believer, at whatever level, you have it. You have been issued the equipment. You just need to use it. The worship team can come. Super important for us because for Jesus to be able to trade his life for ours, he must be sinless. How do you know? Well, because the Bible says it. The Bible says it three times, you know, virtually the same. 
That, in, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, that, that's so a fact shall be. There's a reason why there are some things that are in the Bible multiple times, because it fulfills the law. He must be sinless. This not only describes his sinlessness, but it also gives us a model that we need to use. Perfection is not a reality, okay? You're not perfect, and you never will be, and neither am I. We are made perfect spiritually by Christ. Praise the Lord. But it's direction. What's the direction of your life? Are you, are you moving towards the things of God? Or are you moving away? You don't stand still. You, you, you don't just, there is no plateau in your spiritual life. You're either growing or you're regressing. And there is grace, hallelujah for grace. I need it. You need it. And you will go through times, listen, when you won't feel him, when you will feel like you're in a desert or a wilderness, you'll feel under the pressure, you'll fall to temptation. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's a spiritual truth too. But you gotta ask for it. You gotta confess it. And the more you confess it, it's not like he doesn't know. The more you confess it, the less the devil has. I mean, it's, it, that is like, it, you're like increasing your spiritual strength. The more you confess your sins to your heavenly father, the more strength you will have. This isn't the only passage that proves or points to his temptation. Uh, I think about um, think about the arguments with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are just interlaced throughout all the Gospels. You think that wasn't a temptation to him? I wonder, because was it James and John that said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Should we call down fire from heaven? They're baptizing in somebody else's name. Should we call down fire from heaven? Scorched earth. Where did, he, where did they get that? Because probably Jesus said, you know what I think I'm going to do. You know what I could do? I could call down fire from heaven. No, he didn't do that. And his, and his, his disciples constantly jockeying and positioning for themselves for... Who's the greatest? You think that wasn't a temptation to Jesus to be like, come on, guys, where have you been? Peter himself, the leader, tried to tell him he wasn't going to go to the cross. And what is his response? Get behind me, Satan. See, he saw it for what it was. And then the night before, at the garden, he's sweating blood. 
it was a demonic infused temptation that he would even ask for the cup to pass. But not my will, but your will. We do not have a high priest who is unable to understand us, who can't sympathize, who can't recognize. We have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way, and yet he did not sin. So when we put our confident trust in him, the perfect, spotless lamb without blemish, that blood shed for us covers all of our sin. Super important passage for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I praise your name. You are so good to us. The simple fact that we do not have to earn our way to you. We don't have to prove ourselves to you. We don't have to work our way to you. We don't have to pay our way to you. You know, that faith that is the critical ingredient is all you're asking. We just trust me. Take me at my word. Trust me. Across this room, we all have a journey that we're on. First of all, for those that you've never given your heart to the Lord, you never, you're not a Christian, um, you don't, you're not religious, you're not church, I don't know, whatever that is. Salvation is a free gift. It, re it requires humility and recognizing that you are not perfect. This passage describes, gives us a glimpse of what perfection is. Just some examples. prayer for you today is first that you would acknowledge imperfection the areas you miss the mark every single one of us has it and then what the Bible says is that God so loved the world, you that he gave his one and only son 
Jesus. To live out to perfection and then to give that life of perfection. It happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. It was unjust. It was unfair. But it was necessary to fulfill God's plan of redemption for humanity to bring us back from sin and imperfection so that we could spiritually be perfect by trading that life, being hidden in Christ. Faith means not having all the answers, not having the answers to all the questions. Faith is taking God at his word and starting that journey I would just like to give you an opportunity if you've never made that decision, you've never, never put your faith, in, your faith in Jesus. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody here today? You'd like to receive Jesus as your savior? Trade your imperfection for his perfection. It's one prayer away. Anybody? Praise God. When we talk about temptation, that hits home for every single one of us. It's applicable to every single one of us. And perhaps you walked in here today and you've been struggling with the weight of temptation. And given in, and you needed to hear temptation isn't sin, but nor is giving in a cause for loss of your salvation. But there's a strength there. There's a spiritual truth available. And if, if you're struggling, you're just, I just, I'm not going to call you forward, but I do want to take a moment for you to give, to have a moment with the Lord. And there is a physical step with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd just like to give you an opportunity. Just the sign of an upraised hand. You're struggling right now and you need the Lord's help. You need a strength that's available to you. Just count of one, one, two, three. Hands up, anybody? Praise God. Wow, that's awesome. You can put it down once you. Let's stand together. God, in your presence, we stand before you. Blessed by you. Redeemed by you. But you see our humanity and you see our frailties. You see where each and every person is on this journey of, of knowing you. And for these that have acknowledged God, I pray right now, first of all, for a repentant heart. Your word says that you didn't send your son to condemn the world. The truth is we already stand condemned because of our sin. No, you sent your son into the world to save the world 
And so God, I pray right now for a a strength, a a resolve, that you would hide your word in our hearts, that we would be able to use that weapon, that sword. We know we're not alone. Hands across this sanctuary this morning. Uh, We are not alone. We're not alone because of you, but you've given us a an army around us, a family around us. And so, God, we pray for purity. Pray, Lord, for forgiveness, redemption, renewed in Jesus' name. Amen.